Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. So we're going to look at some core beliefs of what it means to be a follower of Jesus over the next few weeks. And today we're going to begin with the beginning, <laughs> salvation. Uh, you've heard all kinds of names, ideas about salvation. You've heard things, you know, it can be called uh, saved, born again, redeemed, whatever, many more. But I think salvation is a great term to use. It's one of the best. In fact, Matthew f- or Acts 4.12 says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Okay? There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Now, that just pulled in that moment. It's an interesting verse of Scripture. But if you understand the context of that, it's a powerful moment, right? The powerful moment for the church. Here, here Peter and John have gone to the temple, and they, they, this guy gets healed at the temple gate, beautiful. And here they're being questioned by the religious leaders of the day. And, and Peter, in his you know, political correct speech that he gives, he says, but... This Jesus whom you crucified, who you hung on a cross. Yeah, he wasn't political correct at all. But he just said, look, you guys killed him. And there's no other name under heaven with which we must be saved. There's only one way. He's just repeating what Jesus had told them. Jesus himself had said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he's just repeating it and just communicating it. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. Peter's talking about a change in status. Now, I realize that changes of status are really important. Like, there's times when people change their Facebook status and parents learn stuff about their children. You know, it might not be the best way for parents to find out that they're going to be grandparents on Facebook. Just saying. It, it never happened to me, because um, we're not grandparents, <laughs> nor are we expecting to be um, at this point. So, you know, just want to clarify for everybody. Um, not, but, but that, you know, changes status. But here's the deal. We're talking about a significant change in status. When we talk about salvation, we're talking about a change that is an incredible change that takes place without our doing. I suddenly realized people started laughing. I was like, hmm. Yeah, and then the the back of the room goes, if you want to see the scriptures, just turn around. It's better than looking at your clock. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. All right, when we get to reading scriptures, I'll let you know, and it'll be fine. So, wonderful. Okay, good. Gotta love it. Guess we'll be getting a projector this week. We were trying to figure out for sure, but it's done. Okay. Eventually, that's going to become a great illustration. Yet today just hit me. I know where it's coming. It's going to fit right into the notes. It'll be wonderful. You'll think I killed it intentionally, but I didn't. 
Okay. To accept the gospel, in order to come to faith, in order to, to experience salvation, we can't help ourselves, right? We can't do this on our own. We need Jesus to help us. In other words, to accept the gospel, to experience salvation, we must rid ourselves of arrogance. We must get rid of pride because at some level we have to understand we can't do it on our own. When we find salvation, when we experience Christ, we are filled with gratitude to God for what he has done. What, what did we sing about this morning, right? And I can't remember words for nothing, right? So I'm going to come back here and I'll grab something. Because I was listening, I was singing this morning and I'm like, oh, that's so good. To the one who has rescued my soul, to the one who has welcomed me home, to the one who is Savior of all, I sing forever. You know, when you think about what he's done for us, when you, when you understand really where we've come from and where we are, we ought to be singing. We ought to be rejoicing. We ought to be celebrating. We ought to be filled with gratitude. Look, because arrogance and pride never focuses on other people, but, but gratitude does. And we need to focus on what Jesus has done for us. And look, we, we also need to understand we don't deserve salvation, but we've been given salvation. When we accept Christ, uh, uh, salvation is ours. And salvation is a hotly contested thought today. It, it seems many want to experience salvation. Many want to spend an eternity in heaven. But many want to argue about whether Jesus is the only way. Right? Many want to, want to you know, kind of come up with their own deal. But that is not what Jesus said. And that's not where we are. We have to understand that there's not one of us that can get there on our own and we need Jesus to, to get there. Right? So Romans 3.10 tells us this. No one is righteous. Not even one. No one is righteous. Not even one. Look, when we look around the room and remember this throughout this whole time, there's not one of us that's perfect. There's not one of us that's righteous on our own. Romans chapter 3 goes on further in verse 19, and it says this, obviously the law applies to those whom it was given. Now, understand that as Paul's writing this to church at Rome, he's writing to a people who understood Judaism and the law and all those things. But, but understand what we're reading here, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Look, if that's where that ends... That's depressing, right? If the law can only show us how sinful we are and there's no hope, that's trouble. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 21 says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. 
We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Verse 27, can we boast then that we've done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Okay, one of the struggles that we see in the modern era as well as throughout history is people don't want to follow God. People don't want to do the things that God called them to do, right? They would rather do things on their own. And honestly, as followers of Jesus, we're not much different many times, right? We've come to faith, we've trusted Jesus for salvation, but all of a sudden, in the midst of our lives, then we decide, you know what, I'd rather try and do this on my own. And we kind of go back into trying to earn our way into God's favor. That is not his approach. We're, we're not earning our way into God's favor. In fact, we oftentimes want to live life without faith. We'd like to do it on our own. But that's not what God wants us to do. We need to trust Jesus, and we need to live our lives depending on him. For salvation and everything else involved, we need to understand that we live our lives under the grace of God and the mercy of God. And we need to, no, does that take away the part of us that we need to try and live and follow and become like Jesus. No, we, we need to become like Christ. We need to try and imitate him. But we're doing that because we're trying to honor him and trying to glorify him. Look, one of the prerequisites for salvation, in a lot of ways, is admitting you are wrong. <sighs> I know I'm speaking to a bunch of people that are mostly... Um, from America, and um, we don't like that. I don't like it. How many of you find it easy to admit when you're wrong? Notice there's few that are saying, you know, I, I mean, look, admitting we're wrong shouldn't be that hard, but it is. The question is, can you admit when you're wrong? And I don't just mean, like, sin areas with God, but what about, like, in arguments? When you're having kind of a family discussion or with friends, how quick are you to admit you're wrong? One of the things that 
you know, Americans are known for around the world is we're able to argue our point even when we know we're wrong. <laughs> so the question is, can you admit you were wrong? Now, according to a psychologist who's published in Inc. Magazine, but according to a psychologist, that, you know, most people who consistently refuse to admit they're wrong do so because they have incredibly fragile egos. I didn't write it. Just, it's there, right? I'm just reading it. They, they clam up and insist they're right, demonstrating what experts term psychological rigidity as a defense mechanism. Their subconscious feeling is that if they dig in their heels, they can protect themselves from the consequences that might come from their imperfection and fallibility. If we do that with God, there's no forgiveness. If we do that with God, there is no salvation. Right? We have to admit we are wrong, and we have to be convinced that we desperately need Jesus. If we're not convinced of that, we're dead in our sins. I mean, it doesn't seem like it'd be that hard to admit you're wrong. I mean, for some of us, it's incredibly difficult. I don't like admitting I'm wrong. I don't know about you. I, I mean, it's hard. Because I, I think I kind of grew up in this world of, of thinking, if you're wrong, then you lose value. If, you're, if you make mistakes, you'll get cast aside. And I think we all struggle with that at some level, but that is not a God perspective. That is not God's heart. That is not His thought. We, we tend to be products of our culture. Just in case you don't believe me, how many of you have seen when a digital mob gets involved, somebody makes a mistake, uh, you know, not, not necessarily a fireable offense, had nothing to do with their job. It may have been stupid. It may have been irresponsible. It may have been, but it, was, it didn't break the law. It didn't, it didn't affect their job performance at all. It had nothing to do with their work. But they were fired for it. Because a mob of people demanded they be fired. And it happens really quickly with this world. Okay? So how likely are we to admit we're wrong? <laughs> Less likely to admit we're wrong. Because we fear what's going to happen. When it comes to God, He actually demands we admit we're wrong. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we like to stop there, but here's the problem. It goes on to say, if you claim to be without sin, you make God out to be a liar. That's the wrong side of the equation to be on. Okay? Salvation is a powerful gift if we'll step into that moment. Right? And if you really want to push it further, like how do we really believe about this whole, you know, admit you're wrong thing? 
How easy are we to do it? How easily does it come to us? When I were potentially mention this verse of Scripture, most of us will go, can't do that. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Oh yeah, like that's happening. Right? So all of a sudden, there's this, there's this part of us that says, I can't admit I'm wrong. And when it comes to salvation, we have to admit we're wrong. We have to be willing to say, I've blown it. I have transgressed God. I need salvation. I need forgiveness. I need his grace. I need his mercy. And it's, it's a constant thing, right? It's a constant battle that we're going to fight that. Jesus from the early days of his ministry, right up until the point they nailed him to the cross, the people, the religious leaders of his day, would not admit they were wrong. And because they would not admit they were wrong, now I understand it's God's plan, no cross, no salvation, I get it, I, I understand. He's going to the cross one way or another, but the religious leaders of the day dig in and they eventually have him killed because they will not admit they're wrong. And they didn't want to lose their power and a few other things, but that's just the way it worked. But here's the problem. We're concerned that if we admit we're wrong, that there's no hope. See, the question becomes, is if we admit we're wrong, is there hope for us? And it goes back to the digital mob, right? If we admit we're wrong, a mistake... In our culture, we oftentimes will experience pain. God is not that way. We should all admit our mistakes. Both in life, just in general things. If we've made a mistake, we made a mistake on the job, we should be quick to say, Look, I blew it, that was wrong, that was a bad judgment, whatever. We should be willing to do that. It's a sign of humility. But here's the deal with salvation. You have to admit your mistakes. But instead of getting fired, you get rewarded. In fact, you get an inheritance. You get forgiveness. Like, that's an incredible moment, right? So instead of experiencing getting fired, we're given an inheritance. Like, how many of you would be like, so I get a promotion if I admit I'm wrong? Like, I, I get rewarded if I, if, if I admit I'm wrong? If that was the way that people were rewarded on the job, or that was his experience, was when they admitted they were wrong, and there's environments that are that way, that they actually, they actually celebrate failure at some level. You know, I can't do it for a lifetime in the job, but, but they celebrate failure because it actually creates an environment of testing and development and ingenuity and all those things and, and invention and all so so there's places to do that but look if if we understood that we get 
a reward for admitting our mistakes and recognizing that we can't do it our own, will we be quick to do that? I mean, this is where you start to see it. All that you get will not necessarily end up in this life, by the way. Just a little clarification. You may suffer some in this life because of salvation, but you will be rewarded in eternity for sure. So, so Ephesians 2 says it this way. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loves us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Now, if this was a really good illustration and I had done this on purpose, this projector would come to life right now. It's not going to happen. But as dead as that projector is, you and I were dead. Our sins, death sentence. We were dead because of our sins, the scripture teaches us. We're dead because of our sin. But he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Okay. I don't know about you, but dead is a pretty bad place. Okay? Like dead in your sins, that's a bad place to be. And, and most people in our culture, they don't like dead. Right, because dead is done. Right? We we don't really like dead. Now, as followers of Jesus, we're like, you know, we're like Paul. Ah, for me to live with Christ, to die is gain, we're all good with it, right? I mean, we're just all like, yeah, no problem. All right, maybe, maybe we're not that good, but we ought to be. Okay? Because we understand that death is not the end. We don't rejoice, we don't, we don't mourn like those who mourn with no hope. We we celebrate when people step into eternity. Why? Because it's not the end. And that's what salvation is all about. Salvation is all about the fact that because of Christ, we're given life. So it goes on and says, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty cool statement. Right, Because we have been covered by the blood of Christ, because we have been willing to surrender our lives to Jesus, we are raised with Christ and seated with Him in heavenly realms because we're united with Him. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness toward us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Are we perfect? No. Little uh, moment of revelation for you. None of us are perfect. <laughs> okay. Never going to be in this life. 
we may tell people they're perfect just the way they are. That is not true. I know what people are trying to say. You don't need to change yourself. I get it. But the bottom line is perfection is not the goal. The goal is to surrender to Jesus. The goal is made perfect by Christ, not to become perfect without Christ, not to work at all. Now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't take care of ourselves or any of those things, right? We should work on, you know, eating healthy, all those things. That is not the answer. Look, I spend time on my bike trying to be healthy. I'm out riding my bike trying to just be healthy and just be a little better shape and cardio and all that stuff. I'm trying to, to do this stuff, and I like doing it. And what's great about it is I listen to books and have, you know, it's a great time. It's just my time. It's quiet other than the cars. Um, some too close than others. Um, but you just, you're there. And one of the things I've noticed, one of the things I've learned probably over the last couple months that I've been riding my bike and listening to the books is I'm listening to some, of the, some heroes of the faith and just understanding what made them tick. And once they understood salvation, it changed everything. Once Wilberforce understood his life was different, like he has this moment in his life where he comes to a realization that Jesus is real. It changes him. In fact, he struggles that he doesn't do enough for the culture in which he lives. And if you understand Wilberforce, it's a powerful, powerful story of how one guy takes on the fight of the slave trade in England. Incredible story of a man of faith who puts his life on the line, his resources on the line, in fact, from being a very wealthy man to dying basically poor. He uses resources for everybody else. Incredible story. But when you start to see that, when you understand salvation, it changes everything. When you understand that you've moved from death to life, it should change everything. Everything should be reoriented around that one moment. It should be the core. It should be the center. It should be everything that drives us is because we understand who Jesus is. We understand that he went to the cross, and without him going to the cross, we're dead. We have no hope. We're done. We're like a projector that bought the farm. We're never coming back. It's done. But because of Jesus... We have life. We have hope. That ought to give us reason to celebrate. Like, I, you know, as we're, we're worshiping this morning, all I can think of is where we're going in the message. And I can just understand and listen to what's happening. And I'm celebrating a different level because I'm recognizing, look, that's what makes the difference. Jesus. That's what changed my life. And that's what changes your life. And that's what could change your life if you decide to follow him. Is you can actually be changed. 
Look, there are people in your life that will tell you there's absolutely no hope. You'll never change. I'm telling you, there's hope in Christ. And when you become a follower of Jesus, all things become new. Are you perfect at that point? No. But I'm believing God's going to help you change. And you're going to become more like Him. And if people can't see a difference in you from before Christ to after Christ, maybe you need to come back to Christ. Maybe you need to come back to Him again and say, Jesus, change me. Look, there, there should be nothing in our lives that points people away from Jesus when we claim to be followers of Jesus. We ought to be people who are, you know, are, are just radically different. Wilberforce, again, great example. Here's a guy that people were like, man, the guy's incredible wit. Christians were known at that point for being dour and down, and he was always smiling and happy, even in the midst of incredible pain, in the midst of incredible physical weakness. The guy was a source of hope and life to those around him. So that's what, I, that's what salvation should be doing in our lives. That's what Jesus coming into our lives should be doing. We should be joyful people. Are we going to go through tough times? Absolutely. Pass a kidney stone on July 4th. Not going to be a great day. Drop a pallet jack on your left foot the next day. You want to see some cool shades of purple? I can show them to you. Look, everything ain't going to go smooth for you as a follower of Jesus. But in the midst of it, you can be joyful. In the midst of it, you can just celebrate His goodness. Look, I'm just telling you, I'm working in a tent. Like, on July 4th, just working in the tent. Go past the kidney stone, come back and work in the tent. No payments needed. Yikes. Wonderful day. Because <laughs> you take pain as you can't drive, so, you know, I don't take them, generally. <laughs> What's that got to do with anything? Salvation has come. Okay? Freedoms. No pain involved now. That's what I'm saying to you. But when you understand what Jesus has done for your life, you ought to celebrate like a guy who passed a kidney stone. I'm just telling you, because your life is now has freedom. Freedom is what Jesus brings. And he gives us an inheritance that we cannot get on our own. It's only through Christ. Look, this morning, I don't know where you are as far as in your walk with Jesus, but if you walked in here today and you're not following Him, I'm praying that you are willing to follow Him today. That somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit has spoken in your life and you want to experience freedom. You want to experience joy. You want to experience life. You want salvation. You want to go from death to life. You want to go from no hope to hope-filled. Are you going to go through moments in life where your hope level is going to go down? Absolutely, but that's why you come back to Jesus. Are you going to make mistakes in life? Are you going to sin? Yes, absolutely. That's why you run back to Jesus. Look, people 
from the start. When they sin, their tendency is to run from God. His tendency when we sin is to run to us. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they hid from God. But God came and found them. Man was guilty of sin, and God sent Jesus, and he came and found us. And he's going to continue to do things like that for us, and he doesn't have to do Jesus again here on this earth because it's done. It's one time for all. But bottom line is, in the midst of our sin and failure, don't run from God, run to him. He loves you beyond what you can even understand. He is good. And so this morning... If you don't know Jesus or it's been a long time since you followed him, I'm asking you, will you make a decision to follow Jesus today? For the rest of us in the room, here's what I want. For the rest of us that that we're followers of Jesus, I want us to understand the power of salvation and what it ought to be doing in our lives. We ought to live differently. We ought to be celebrating differently. We ought to be rejoicing in God our Savior. Not just on Sunday, but every day. Because He has brought us from death to life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you, God, for this time. Lord, I pray that there will be some this morning that will decide to follow you. Lord, they may have had some level of exposure to Christianity and stuff and all these things, but Lord, maybe today they would recognize that the only way to get to God is through Jesus and through what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection. Lord, would you speak in this place? Would there be some people who would decide to follow you that they'd simply in this time of prayer to say, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit my mistakes. I want to experience your forgiveness. I want salvation. For there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Lord, speak into people's lives today. And Lord, I pray for every follower of Jesus in this room. I pray, Lord, that every one of us has had a fresh revelation of what salvation means, that we've been brought from death to life, that we've been brought from, from poor to an inheritance in heaven by your grace and your mercy. Lord, thank you. You are so good. Lord, may we worship you and honor you not just in these closing moments, but with our lives every single day. May salvation make a difference in how we live. In Jesus' name, amen.